0: When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, And in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, "'Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven?' This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, men and brethren, This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake, concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us, and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that the field is called in their proper tongue a which is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show Whither of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. From which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was numbered with the twelve apostles. The The book of Acts. Chapter number 1, Acts chapter number 1 in your Bibles this morning. You ever heard the, what is called the law of first mention? Understand the principle that's sometimes called the law of first mention? Students of the Bible will look at the first time that God introduces a theme or introduces a subject into the history of man And often we'll learn important foundational principles about that theme or about that subject that God is introducing into the history of mankind. That uh, law of first mention can open your eyes to what God sees as important, as vital in a subject that He wants to deal with. And so as we begin 2022 today, I want to begin uh, our year on our Sunday mornings By considering two great areas of our lives The area of our family Which we'll start next Sunday morning And the area of our church Which uh, I'm going to speak on this morning One message this morning And then next week I'm going to start a short series On the first family in the Bible You know there's a lot you can learn about family From Adam and Eve and their kids God was introducing something new He introduced family And what is included in God's creation of family and what unfolded in the early history of man provides us some amazing insight into what God thinks is important about family. And So we're going to begin, Lord willing, next Sunday morning looking at the first family from the book of Genesis. But this morning, our focus is on something that was brand new. And that was the operation of God's church without Jesus' presence. Jesus had been with the assembly of His church for the years of His ministry. He called out His apostles. He organized them together. The Bible tells us that God put in the church first the apostles and, and Jesus was with them. He was with them to teach them, to influence them, to mold their lives. When he came to, the, to the, his death, the crucifixion, he was gone for just a short period of time. Buried at the end of the day. And then on the third day, which would have been the day after tomorrow from his death, he rose from the grave. And so there was a short period of time. And then he was with the apostles again for, a, for about 40 days. But then he left, and he left for good. And his physical presence has never been back with the operation of his church for the last 2,000 years. And I want us to consider this morning life after Jesus. Speaking of his physical presence, church life after Jesus' physical presence was gone. And it happened in Acts chapter 1. And from Acts chapter 1 till today, Jesus has not been physically present in the operation of His church on earth. And so this morning, we're going to consider that some principles, some truths about church life after Jesus' physical presence disappears. When Jesus Christ went back, To heaven, we call that his ascension. When he went back to heaven, life in his church was never the same. Can you imagine being physically present with Jesus Christ for a couple of years? And then he's gone. Never to return. Physically to work with that church family. Obviously things changed. Obviously, there was some impact with the absence of Jesus Christ. What's it going to be like? What's the church going to do in the absence of Jesus' physical presence? What are the foundational principles of church life that would shape its very existence into the future? And now, 2,000 years later, as we look back to the first mention of the operation of Jesus' church on earth without His physical presence, what can we as a church family learn about life, the life of the church after the physical presence of Jesus Christ that works so diligently for those years of ministry to shape and to mold and to to produce, to create His church on earth. And so this morning, the the bluff the bottom line up front of the morning message is let's be what Jesus church was when he launched it into the world he he actually told the church not to leave jerusalem for a period of days it ended up being 10 days they were to stay in jerusalem and then they were going to be launched into this great enterprise that we just sang about the enterprise of world evangelism what is the church going to be like after Jesus left you know when Jesus left at the cross I mentioned a moment ago he was gone and they panicked the apostles feared for their lives when Jesus was crucified they scattered they hid they panicked they were afraid they were they were uh, torn apart so to speak Fortunately, it only lasted for a short period of time. And then Jesus was back with them. And he was back with them for 40 days. But when he leaves at the end of that 40 days at his ascension, what's it going to be like? You know, the the ending of the Gospel of Luke, God used Luke to record two vital portions of the Bible. The book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. Acts. The Gospel of Luke records all that Jesus began to do. The book of Acts records all that Jesus continued to do in his absence through the Spirit of God as his churches multiplied and evangelized the world. And so the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, God used the same human author. And when you read the last chapter of the book of Luke and then you read the first chapter of the book of Acts, it becomes very obvious that they overlap. In other words, when Luke began to write the book of Acts, the Spirit of God had him re-record the thematic elements that the gospel of Luke ended with. And so Luke's ending and Acts beginning overlap. And in that overlap, we read about Jesus Christ. His resurrection from from the dead and then His teaching of the disciples for a period of 40 days. He spent 40 days proving to them that He was in fact alive bodily, physically from the grave. He spent 40 days making very clear to them that He was resurrected from the dead. He had conquered our death. He had conquered sin. He was alive. And He proved that. To those apostles. Jesus Christ also taught them for 40 days. What to expect in the future. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. He taught them about how the kingdom of God would expand and spread. As churches evangelize the world. He gave them their commission to go into all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. He told them to start in Jerusalem. And then spread out to Judea. And then to Samaria. And then All over the entire world, the the globe, the, the world population. And he outlined that commission of what they were to do. He told them in both passages, you read both passages. End of Luke, beginning of Acts. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. That the Spirit of God was going to come and take his place. And the Spirit of God was going to empower them to be able to evangelize. And without the Spirit of God they would be incapable of fulfilling the great commission. And he told them about that coming of the Holy Spirit and the work, the essential work that he would do. And then he left. And they were gathered on the Mount of Olives, as the little picture on your sermon worksheet depicts. He he had gathered them together on the Mount of Olives. He had given them his last instruction. And then he began to ascend up into the clouds. And the angels said to the apostles, why are you staring up in the clouds? This same Jesus will come again and the bible says that they went back to jerusalem life after jesus presence what is it going to be like now that jesus is gone well i want to i want to consider two observations that i have of the passage in acts chapter 1 of What shaped the life of the church now that Jesus is no longer physically present? What began as a first mention in Acts 1 continues today in Community Baptist Church. We still are living and operating as Jesus' church without Jesus' physical presence to influence us, to guide us, to direct us. What started in Acts 1 that was foundational in the life of the church without Jesus' presence that is still foundational and important to the life of Jesus' church today, 2,000 years later. The law first mentioned would encourage us to look deeply into this Acts 1 passage and learn some things about the operation of Jesus' church that began when he ascended back to the Father. So two simple observations. The first observation has to do with the emotional state of the church after Jesus. And this uh, really comes, uh, begins uh, in, in Luke. So I'm going to turn back to the last couple of verses, last uh, two verses of Luke's gospel. And I want to just take note of the emotional state of the church after Jesus ascended. Luke chapter 24 has recorded the Commissioned that they are to take the gospel and that Jesus has ascended back to, the, to heaven. And then in verse number 52, now remember, compare this to when Jesus left at the crucifixion 40 days earlier, when they feared, ran, hid, were emotionally distraught and torn apart. Now Jesus Christ leaves permanently. Now I want you to notice the emotional state of the church. Verse 52 says, They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Luke's brief record leaves us with four descriptive words. Two focused on their internal state of their emotion and two focused on their public state I want you to notice them just in passing. That internally. Luke chapter 24 verse 52 says. They were worshiping him. Flowing out of their heart. Was an exuberance toward Jesus Christ. Out of their heart was this, was this thing of worship. Of, of expressing to Jesus Christ. How much he meant to them. Flowing out of their heart. Was worship to Jesus Christ. But not only worship. Luke also mentioned great joy, far different than when Jesus left at the crucifixion. Now as he leaves permanently, his, as far as his physical presence is concerned, and he sends the disciples, the apostles, back to Jerusalem with their instructions, the Bible says they are filled with great joy. Their emotional state is victorious. They're excited about the future. They're looking forward to what is in store for them. And flowing out of their heart are expressions toward God of worship and adoration. These people are in victory. These people aren't hiding behind closed doors. These people aren't fearing for their lives. These people aren't embarrassed and ashamed and distraught. These people are emotionally charged, filled with great joy and worship. And that internal emotional state impacted their external behavior. Luke says they were in the temple continually. That is they were out in public. They were out in the public square. They were there at the temple where where the masses of people came and went. And what were they doing out there in public? In the public square, the public arena. They were praising God. They weren't praising God after the crucifixion. They were scared and hiding for their lives. But now they spent 40 days with a risen Savior. They know He's alive and He's well. And even though He has left and He's not physically with them any longer, they're living in the victory of the understanding of the reality of His life and His vibrancy. And so they're out in the public arena, and they're praising God. They're talking about Jesus Christ. They're talking about Jesus Christ in the public arena. They're telling people what Jesus Christ did for them. They're talking about the work of Jesus Christ. They're talking about the impact of Jesus Christ in their lives. We just sang a song, People Need the Lord. And that song articulates the fact that there are people that are broken, that they come to the end. They don't know where to turn. And Jesus Christ is the only solution to the dilemmas of their life. Well, these people are out in the public square talking about that. Praising Jesus Christ and blessing God. They're giving credit to God for what God has done in the public square. When's the last time we got so supercharged, excited about what Jesus Christ has done in Raising from the from the dead and being alive in heaven today and giving us a commission to reach all over the world, starting in our Jerusalem, south riding and extending out to the whole world. When's the last time we were so supercharged? We went out in the public arena and we talked about God as if he were our best friend. We weren't ashamed to mention the name Jesus and talk about what he's done in our lives. That's the emotional state of the church after. Jesus left laying down a foundational principle for us in our day-to-day. As we look back and compare ourselves to first-generation Christianity, we have to ask ourselves, does the emotional state of the church then reflect itself in our emotional state as Community Baptist Church in 2022, and that is can only be answered personally and individually. Is my emotional state internally filled with worship and great joy that overflows into the public arena where I praise God and I bless God publicly in the public arena? Is that the emotional picture? of my life and collectively of our lives as a church family is Community Baptist Church, a first-generation church, following the tradition of the church of Jesus Christ after Jesus' presence was taken away. I have a second observation. The second observation deals with the action of the church internally. Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26 gives us the first explanation of the life of the church inside as a church family. The emotional state immediately carried into the public arena. The actions of the church that are then mentioned in Acts 1 are internal regarding the life of the church in its operation as a people. And I want to make an observation about the immediate action of the church after Jesus' physical presence. What did the church members do after Jesus left them without his presence? I find two actions that they immediately took. And the first action is found in verses 12, 13, and 14. And that is that they focused on prayer. Verse number 12 says, Then returned they into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room. And there abode both Peter and James and John, list the the apostles. Not only the apostles, but also verse number 14 adds the. the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, Jesus' brothers. And so they're all together. Verse number 15 tells us that there's about 120 people. And they have been meeting continually in this upper room. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So between the ascension and the day of Pentecost was a period of time in which the life of the church is explained by two actions that they took. And these two actions are foundational to the health of Jesus Christ's church that began after his physical presence was taken away. Their focus on prayer. Here's the first church service after Jesus left. Here's the first time the church assembled together after Jesus Christ is permanently gone. They were told to wait in Jerusalem before they go out to evangelize the world. And during that period of time, which ended up being 10 days, it was 40 days from the resurrection of Christ to the ascension of Christ. It was 10 days from the ascension of Christ to the day of Pentecost, making From the time of Jesus' resurrection to the time of Pentecost was 50 days, which goes into the meaning of the word Pentecost. And so during this 10 day window, the church is going to be known for taking two actions. And these two foundational actions will will be the, the picture of the life of the church inwardly as a church family. As they get ready to evangelize a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are those two actions? The first action is the focus on prayer. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this focus on prayer. The Bible says that they continued with one accord in prayer, with, with, uh, they continued in one accord in prayer uh, and supplication, and then lists adds the women and Jesus' brothers to the apostles that were there making the number about 120 people. I want you to think with me for a moment about what is the purpose of their prayer what are they focused on in their prayer what are they praying if you were a member of that church and your Messiah had been crucified 40 days earlier and then rose from the grave on the third day And now for 40 days, he's been meeting with you regularly, instructing you and teaching you about what's in front of you, what the agenda is going to be, what the Great Commission is all about. And then he says, now you just stay here for a little bit longer, and then he leaves you, and you never see him again. What would you be praying about? Well, I would, as I think through... The purpose of their prayer and what they're praying for. There's some things that seem obvious to me. They're not praying for the indwelling of the Spirit of God to come. He had indwelt them on Resurrection Sunday evening. The Gospel of John tells us. He's they're, they're, the whole context of all that has transpired during the last 40 days brings into focus the evangelization of the world. It brings into focus the, the work of the kingdom of God on earth through all of Jesus Christ's churches. It brings into focus what our marching orders are. It's a focus on God, a focus on God's agenda, a focus on God's commission that they have received and how they're going to fulfill it. I can't help but think, although the Bible doesn't spell it out and say it specifically The fact that they spent 10 days together in intense prayer as a church family. Knowing what has just happened for 40 days and what is about to happen on the day of Pentecost. I can't help but think that that they're focused on what Jesus Christ has talked to them about for 40 days. Maybe they're praying, Lord, what will my involvement be in world evangelism? What role am I going to play in this thing of fulfilling your commission? How can I reach people in Jerusalem? What what can I do to get this gospel message throughout our Jerusalem? And and, and how about Judea? How about the province that Jerusalem is located in? How about Virginia? What can I do? What's my role? What's my place? And, And Samaria? Man, a lot of the Samaritans, that's a hard to reach group. If you're a Bible student, you know that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Gentile and half-Jew. And so the problem that existed in Israel between the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the Jews, we would call today racial prejudice. It was a huge issue of racial prejudice between Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So much so that the average Jew wouldn't even walk through Samaria. And the apostles were shocked that Jesus Christ actually wanted to stop and have lunch in Samaria when they passed through. This is a difficult field. How are we going to reach Samaria? They don't worship the way we worship. They don't view God the way we view God. How are we going to to reach parts of the world that are so different than us? They hate us. They don't like us. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs. The Samaritans didn't want anything to do with the Jews because they said you Jews are filled with pride and snobbishness. How are we going to reach Samaria? God, can you use me to reach Samaria? How can I break through that barrier culturally and reach the Samaritans with the gospel of Christ? God, do I have a role in that? How about some foreign country? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the whole world. God, how are we going to get the gospel across Asia Minor? God, how about, how about Macedonia and Achaia? How about Spain and Italy? How, about, how are we going to reach the world? How about India off to the east and Pakistan, Persia, Iran? How are we going to reach the world? I can't help but believe that the purpose of that 10-day prayer meeting was focused on what Jesus had just talked to them about for 40 days. Prayer was huge. Has a huge role in aligning our priorities with God's priorities. You know, we're not taught in the Bible to view prayer as a way of getting stuff from God. Prayer requests. Do we have any prayer requests? Sickness. Sickness. This need, that need, I need this from God, I need that from God. You know, we don't find that anywhere in the Bible. You know what Jesus taught about prayer? Pray about who God is and about what God wants to do in his world. And once you've exhausted praying about who God is and how to reach the world with the gospel, if you have any time left over, pray for your daily needs. We, we, we turn prayer around. The first generation church didn't do that. The first generation church was focused. And when we focus on prayer the way Jesus taught us to pray, it aligns our priorities with God's priorities. That's perhaps the most powerful impact of prayer in a church. When a church is a praying church... The church's priorities align with God's priorities. That's the purpose of prayer. A church who prays together about God's agenda can experience a unity of the Holy Spirit in identifying God's purposes for that particular church at that particular time in history and then becoming a, dymatic, a, 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 a dynamic team unified around that purpose. Accomplishing that purpose for God. I want you to notice the participants. The apostles are listed by name in verse 13. We've read those. But then we also notice that there were also... It wasn't just those 11 men. There were also women that were there in the upper room. And, and, And there were also... There were also the brothers of Jesus. Now why is that significant? It's significant because the Bible tells us that the brothers of Jesus had rejected him during his earthly ministry. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They didn't trust him as the Savior. But it all changed after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And now all of a sudden his brothers are church members in the upper room with the others... Meeting together in prayer for world evangelism. So who's in the room? We have seasoned saints. Both male and female. We have new converts. Who had recently gotten saved. Who were just beginning their journey of salvation with Jesus Christ. And those seasoned saints and new converts are all joined together. Participating in a 10-day prayer meeting. The Bible says in verse, number, in verse number 14, they continued with one accord. This was an ongoing 10-day prayer meeting. And think of it. A 10-day corporate prayer meeting. This is the church meeting together. This isn't scattered out, everyone in their prayer closets. This is the church convened together together for 10 days praying, I believe about what Jesus Christ had just talked to them about for 40 days and perhaps this was a continual prayer meeting I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us we know they continued with one accord for those 10 days about 120 people maybe they came and went maybe anytime you stopped by that upper room you knew there would be other church members there praying for the work of world evangelism. Praying for the fulfillment of the great commission. Maybe you'd get hungry and you'd go home. And fix your family dinner. And catch a couple hours of sleep. Or sleep all night even. Then come back. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd been, uh, uh, you'd been uh, working most of the day. And you swung by the upper room on the way home. And spent two or three hours with the church members. That were there in prayer. They had a continual 10 day prayer meeting. Talking to God. About world evangelism. This is foundational. This is the first thing the church did after Jesus' presence left. It was a corporate prayer meeting of the church family joining together, praying about what God had talked to them about. What an amazing picture. Then I want you to notice the passion. Verse number 14, the passion says, these all continued with one accord. The, the, the word continued is, is a, a word which speaks of, of determination. And they continued in this. They continued in this. doesn't mean it just happened for multiple days. It speaks of the, of the energy. It speaks of words that, that I came across in studying uh, this verse. They it speaks of the, their determination, their endurance, their persevering in. This wasn't a lackadaisical thing. This wasn't a stop by if you feel like it if you don't have anything better to do. This is a 10-day prayer meeting with energy and endurance and determination where the church members were together praying and seeking God and uniting their hearts together in prayer. There's passion, their reputation perhaps would have been. Now that's a church that prays together. I wonder if Community Baptist Church has the reputation. Now that's a church that prays together. The members get together and pray together. About the agenda of God and the purpose of God in their world. I sense the the attitude, the heart. The Bible emphasizes they continued with one accord. There was unity. They were all on the same page. They were all pulling in the same direction. They were all working like a a, a well-oiled machine with every part doing its part in sync with every other part. This is a united group of 120 people in a 10-day prayer meeting about how to fulfill what Jesus Christ talked to us about for 40 days. And it is one united praying people And that was preparing their hearts. Can't you you see that when you spend time praying together. When you spend time corporately seeking God together. That has a way of uniting your hearts together. And it has a way of uniting your heart with God's heart. About God's agenda, God's plans and God's purposes. Oh, the church is united, praying, being prepared for what was about to unfold. Charles Haddon Spurgeon pastored the London Baptist Tabernacle, which, by the way, still preaches the gospel today in London, England, has for hundreds of years. He pastored Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle back in his lifetime. And and prayer, the corporate prayer life of the church was extremely important to pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He once said, if any of you should ask me for an epitome of the Christian religion, I would say it is in that one word, prayer. But he wasn't merely speaking of your private prayer life as a member of the church. He also said the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. He nicknamed their prayer meeting a graceometer, a device that would measure how much of the grace of God is at work in that church family. He said the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. If he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. He also said, prayer is the breath of faith. Prayer meetings are the lungs of the church. What does the lung do? It inhales air and the oxygen is transmitted into the system of the body. And the body has strength. If the lungs stop functioning, if the lungs don't intake oxygen, it impacts the health and strength of the entire body. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon, speaking of of the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle, he said our prayer meetings are the lungs of our church. It is the intake of oxygen that enables us to do the work around London, England. The prayer meetings... That's what we see in Acts chapter 1. We see a corporate prayer meeting. The emphasis is not on private prayer, although private prayer is important. It's important that we each pray privately by ourselves when we're all alone. But that's not what is in focus in Acts 1. The first church service after Jesus' absence was a prayer meeting that went on for 10 days as the church corporately prayed together. I ran across a um, Something like a blog, I don't know if it was a blog, uh, it was a few years ago. It was, it was written by a, a senior pastor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, describing something about prayer in their church experience. And, and he said this, all summer a small group of midweek prayer ser- service people met to pray that God would help us to create a powerful prayer service. Last Thursday evening, we experienced the answer to that petition. And it continues tonight. Songs were sung. The prayer leader, who was our associate pastor, who was on fire for prayer, began to direct the people in prayer like the orchestra leader directs the orchestra. He asked four people to invite the Lord to be the leader in this service. In other words, teach us to pray. One person sitting in front of me prayed, Quote, we formally invite you, Lord, to lead this service. Another prayed, Lord, we have no agenda but to meet with you. Last week's service spotlighted the youth ministry for special prayer. The names of our youth workers were projected on a screen, and everyone was asked to pray for two names. As we prayed one by one down the rows, I thought, how healthy this is for our church for each person to lay out their heart to God and to each other for the unity of the body of Christ, end of quote. In other words, he said we went down the row. Everyone prayed out loud one at a time. It was prayer meeting. Everyone prayed out loud, and everyone prayed out loud for two youth workers by name as they focused that service, that prayer service on the youth ministry. He said the youth workers were then dismissed to have their monthly meeting. What a great feeling for them to know that their names were just lifted to God for strength and stamina in ministry. They are the shepherds of our teens. Our biblical discussion of prayer was next. We've been discussing the prayer life of Jesus. We projected scripture via uh, overhead. This goes back a number of years. People were asked to participate. Prayer circles were then formed in groups of four or five people. One of the pastors produced a straight street student ministry pictorial directory and gave each person present one of the pages. We prayed around the circle looking at the pictures and praying for the teens by name to God. How beautiful. The, the, the senior pastor didn't have anything to do with any of this. The senior pastor is in the service observing what the assistant pastors put together who were passionate for prayer. And he said how... how uh, Precious it was uh, uh, for, um, we prayed around the circles, uh, looking at the pictures, praying for the teens. How beautiful to hear the prayer sounds generated heavenward from each circle. The service closed by forming a large prayer circle around the room and four more people were called upon to seek the Lord for souls. How powerful. I thought as I sat and, and, and participated in this atmosphere, here was his final thought. Quote, a prayer leader with a passion can guide the people in prayer like the orchestra leader leads his orchestra. What sweet music these prayers sound to God. What that senior pastor described from sitting in a prayer meeting of the church he pastored resembles the first church service of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus Christ departed physically from their presence a powerful prayer meeting let me ask the question you see it on your little worksheet there uh, what what must i do in order to fit into such a church you know a church corporately is only what the individual members are individually In light of what we learn in Acts chapter 1 about the foundational principle of the life of the church internally, that it was a place of corporate prayer, what must you do as a member of Community Baptist Church for you to fit in such a first-generation church? Here are four points of reference. Number one, take your personal prayer life to a new stage. You understand that corporate prayer is a reflection of private prayer. The person who doesn't have a private prayer life will feel uncomfortable praying corporately out loud with others. If you feel uncomfortable vocalizing your communication to God out loud in the presence of others, that just might be an indication that your personal prayer life needs to be cranked up a couple of notches. What can you do to be a member of a first-generation church? You can take your personal prayer life to a new stage. And as you grow in your communication with God privately, As the Lord's Prayer and the teaching of the New Testament on how to communicate with God begins to shape and mold and grow you in your private prayer life, you will find that it is a joy to pray out loud with other church members in a prayer meeting. It's not embarrassing unless your private prayer life is anemic. So the first thing you can do is you can you can grab a prayer sheet from your Bible study fellowship class or ask your Bible fellowship uh, class leader to send you to send the electronic copy that we, the office staff sends out every week to the leaders to be able to send out to the class members. You can ask them to send you electronically the prayer sheet and then use that to learn how to talk to God about the things Jesus told us to talk to God about. Prayer is no mystery. God wants us to talk to God about himself. Not about ourselves. He wants us to talk to him about being Jehovah Jireh. He wants us to talk to him about his name. His names. His character. Who he is. And then he wants us to talk to him about his agenda. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Get the prayer sheets. Learn to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. Here's the second thing. Be involved in corporate prayer. As you know, those of you who come every Sunday morning, we have we have for a number of weeks now, we have a couple of moments of corporate prayer in every one of our Sunday morning services. We come to church to worship God in prayer corporately. Be involved in that. This is not a time for private prayer. It's not a time to sit there and just pray to yourself silently. That's, you can do that at home before you come to church. This is corporate prayer time. This is the church coming together to corporately pray like the first church did. Perhaps even non-stop for 10 days. Be involved in that. If your family's here, gather your family around you. and Have one or two or three of the family articulate out loud. A communication to God and talk to God about something that's pertinent and important at that moment of time. If you're not with a family, look around and find someone who's by themselves and go ask if you can pray with them. One thing you can do is you can participate and be involved in corporate prayer every Sunday morning for about two minutes of communication with God corporately together as a church family. Number three, you can be involved in corporate prayer meeting at church prayer meetings, which are typically on Wednesday evenings. You know, we're all busy people, and churches are busy. And a lot of things get crowded into a church schedule just like they get crowded into our schedule. You know, the first thing that always leaves a crowded schedule personally or corporately is prayer meetings stop or nobody comes and prays. What can I do? You can crank up your personal prayer life a notch or two. You can participate on Sunday morning in two minutes of corporate prayer with your family or with a couple of people around you. You can come to prayer meeting. And you can begin to pray together as a church family once a week. This is something you can do in order to move your church family Closer to a foundation of biblical church life. Biblical church life in the very first church that existed after Jesus left. In the very first church service they had. Talk about law of first mention. This has phenomenal repercussions. And then finally, if you're a ministry leader at CBC... Accept your responsibility to teach corporate prayer to your ministry. To teach the people in the ministry you're involved in the importance of the church being a corporate, having a corporate prayer life. As a leader in any ministry, you have a responsibility to mold that ministry into a ministry of corporate prayer. Accept that responsibility. And model your unity with your church in this matter of prayer. Let me close by noting there's a second focus. And the second focus is on obeying God's word. The rest of chapter 1 from verse number 12 down through verse number 26. I'm sorry, verse number 15 down through 26. There is a focus on the word of God that is very interesting. It's, in fact, i tell you what I'm going to do. I, I'm, this, this has got so many um, really interesting uh, uh, things that are involved in it. I'm just going to stop right now, and, uh, and I'm going to come back to that, probably not next Sunday morning, but maybe next Sunday evening, and we'll look at the second foundation, foundational observ- principle, foundational action of the church and that was its interaction with the Word of God. And, and there's some really interesting things in that, in that life of that church for those ten days that showed their focus on the Word of God in their lives. Prayer and the Word of God. Those are the two foundational actions of the first church after Jesus left. The law of first mentioned says we must be a church. Of corporate prayer it's not enough to pray individually at home we must be a church of corporate prayer and we must be a church that rightly relates to the word of God and Lord willing we'll look at that in another service by the way if, 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 if your brain is working here this morning if you're thinking you may have already thought prayer and the word of God That sounds just like what Acts chapter 6 when the pastors of the church said let's get somebody else to take care of some of these other things around the church. So that we can focus as the pastors of the church so that we can focus on leading the church to be a place of prayer and the word of God. Those were the two foundational elements of the first church. Prayer and the word of god. and by the way it was in that order it was in acts 1 and in acts 6 it was prayer and the word of god somehow in western christianity we have reversed that and we've made the church all about preaching the word of god and we have a brief statement of prayer to open and a second brief statement of prayer to close the service but the church never prays together and we have reversed the order that Jesus established in the experience of the church that turned the world upside down with the gospel in their generation. Maybe we should go back to the law of first mention and reclaim our commitment as a church in 2022 to develop into a church of vibrant corporate prayer. So that on Sunday morning when I say This is the house of prayer. We've come to worship God in prayer. We're going to take a couple minutes. Get with someone and pray. That it sounds like you've walked into a machine shop. And there's a drum. There's a hum in the background. Of all of the machines. I talked to somebody recently. Just a few weeks ago. They said you know when I came to Community Baptist Church. One of the things that that really impressed me. I came to a prayer meeting. And everyone began to pray. And the hum. The vote, you couldn't hear the words, but you could hear the hum of all the people praying. And they realized they had come into a church that had a prayer meeting where the people actually prayed together. Could we become that church again? Could Community Baptist Church become a church like the church of the New Testament? Could we become a church where we come together to worship God in prayer corporately and we pray together out loud together, creating a noise that ascends up to God and he hears, oh, that's one of my churches. That's Community Baptist over in South Riding. They're talking to me about my agenda of fulfilling the Great Commission. That could happen. But in order for that to happen, it has to happen in each of our hearts individually. And then we corporately could be that kind of a church.